You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Thank you, Luke, uh, for no doubt the most memorable introduction that I have ever had. Uh, like Luke said, Jared is at City Church uh, this morning in Conway, and I get the privilege of being with you just in the past 30 minutes, getting to meet some of you and seeing the smiles on your face and the warmness in this room, there is no doubt that the Spirit of God is working in this place. Uh, I've kind of been uh, living vicariously through you guys for quite some time. There are people on the outside world that are watching you guys and watching what God is doing here, and it's so encouraging. Um, We planted City Church three years ago, and I'm going to tell some stories. I'm going to intertwine my stories with some stories uh, from people in the, the Old Testament, and, and then I hope it'll be a word for you today, and it'll challenge you and encourage you, um, but we've been watching you from afar from a pretty long time, so I feel like I know you a lot better than I actually know you. We kind of watched how this thing got started and what God has done even in this space uh, this past year, and it's been really encouraging to watch what God is doing in this body. Uh, Jared, actually, I want to tell just a little bit. So, uh, by the way, I really hope that uh, that's not how <laughs> Joey's in Paragold and everyone celebrates, you know, <laughs> which is awesome because I know you love him, right? I mean, come on. I know you love Jared, right? Uh, yeah, of course. Of course you do. Uh, but I want to tell you kind of how special that relationship and, uh, and others here, but just to speak on that one. When, when I was, I was just out of college and I went to Arkansas State, or finished there rather with my business degree. Yeah. Go Indians? Go Indians? No? Okay. Got some Indians in the house. Um, I got my business degree there and I was, uh, I was, it was, I'd been out for two weeks. I just graduated and I was on my third interview for Enterprise Rent-A-Car in Memphis. I was about to, uh, become an assistant manager there, it looked like. And, and I was, uh, I, you know, the whole job thing didn't really sit there that well with me. I, I knew there was something else stirring in me, but I didn't know what it was. And so I went to the Indian Mall back in the day. Anybody that was, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Went to the Indian Mall, and I was just there kind of uh, wondrously, you know, wandering through the, the uh, halls aimlessly, and I run into Jared Pickney. Well, uh, Jared and my wife, Sindel, were in the same youth group together as kids, uh, my wife's brother, some of you may, may know Adam Breckenridge. Uh, Adam was my best friend before I knew that my wife existed, as, long, as strange as that sounds. But Adam's going to be moving here in the next week and a half. So a lot of really special ties. But I'm wandering around uh, Indian Mall, and I run into Jared Pickney, who I haven't seen in a while. And he says, what are you doing? I said, well, I just graduated. It looks like I may be moving to Memphis. And he goes, okay, cool. Uh, what are you doing, Jared? He said, well, I'm actually getting ready to take a trip to Nashville with a group of college students. At the time, Jared uh, had a ministry called Crave. Uh, anyone around when Jared was doing Crave back in the day? Okay, a handful. Cool. So he, he said, it's all, it would, I said, well, I'm broke. He said, it only costs you $14. The church is already paid except for $14. So I called up uh, my girlfriend at the time, and I said, hey, I think I'm going to Nashville with Jared tomorrow, and I'm going to be gone for a few days. It's only going to cost me $14. And so I got on the bus, and I went with Crave Ministries from Paragould, Arkansas, to Nashville, and God altered the course of my life forever. 
through those conversations with those believers, and at that conference, I actually ran into a guy, and uh, God altered the course of my life. I was getting ready to go into the business world, and God literally picked me up and moved me, and he said, I want you here for this purpose. And so for 10 years, we did student ministry. My wife and I did 10 years of student ministry in, in two different cities and saw God do amazing things. Uh, then, then we ended up in Frisco, Texas, uh, planting a church or in an attempt to plant a church about five years ago. Uh, we had nine of the most miserable months of our life. We got to the point where we were so anxious that we didn't even want to leave the house. It was a very difficult season for us, and I knew that God was not finished with me in that capacity. And so God brought us to Conway, Arkansas through a series of events uh, we had the pleasure of planting City Church, and, and now Jared will be speaking uh, to four or 500 people in two gatherings, and it's been really beautiful to see what God has done in that city. But I, that's the highlight reel, but I don't want to end with the highlight reel. The last six months for our family has been some of the most difficult times of our life. We've had some uh, issues in our body. We've had some leadership changes that have been very difficult. Uh, we've had conversations that have been very difficult. Uh, six to eight weeks ago, we actually received a letter. Can you imagine receiving a letter as Fellowship Paragold from uh, the mayor of this city saying that you cannot meet in the crossing in this space effective immediately? We got that letter six, seven weeks ago. Now, I don't, I don't know if you know like kind of what, actually I know that you do because you just got done renovating this space. Can you imagine not knowing where you would meet the next week? That'd be difficult, wouldn't it? Kind of like this space, right? It's just brick and mortar, but you kind of like this space. I mean, this is beautiful. It's incredible. So we got that letter and we literally, we, we came together as a body. Everyone knelt in front and we prayed, God, we don't know what you're doing, but um, we know that you are concerned for your people and your children, and we don't have a space to gather next week. And, and so we prayed, and we wept together, and we dismissed, and we told people to check Twitter. That's how we're going to know where we're going to meet. God's going to provide a space for a few hundred people. Keep your eyes on Twitter. And so that next week, God opened up a space across town, an event center that we have now been in for almost two months. And it's more room uh, it's better uh, space for our children. The acoustics are, are much better. And God's been so faithful. But I, I want you to know that hasn't come without a cost. It's been very, very difficult. And the reason I tell you this story is not just so you know a little bit, uh, a growing affinity toward our church. But I, want, I also want you to know that City Church and Fellowship Paragold share a heartbeat. Uh, you don't know this, but I often refer to you guys as our sister church. We were planted around the same time. We seek to do the same things in our city. We want to be a church for the city. And the reason that I tell you these stories is not just so you would get to know us better, because I'm learning something, and I want to share that with you today, that even in those deepest, darkest hours, and here's why this is important, because some of you are in them right now. Some of you just received news from a doctor, and everything seems hopeless for you. Others of you are in some of the most difficult transition you've ever had in life. You have sick family members. There's more month at the end of the money. And what I'm learning in these seasons, and I hope that we can see today through the scripture, is that Jesus is often 
nearer to us then than in the times when we stand and we praise God through music and we lift our hands. This life of faith, this journey of faith is a journey in the unseen. If you and I could see the work of Christ around us, it would make it so much easier for us, wouldn't it? Like if we could open our eyes and see Jesus sitting in the front row, wouldn't that be simple? Like he's here with us, right? Like he's sitting right there. He's singing the same songs. He's confirming the things that we believe. He's sitting right there. But Jesus in the flesh is not sitting right there either, is is he? He left. He left and he said, I'm going to send a spirit. I'm going to send a spirit that's with you and his presence is going to be with you. And I'm leaving, but I'm not. I'm right here in the middle of this room, in this body of people working. But it's an unseen world and that's difficult for those of us who are used to functioning in a very temporal world. What we can see, taste, touch, feel, hear. But that's not the the way that this economy works. I want to um, I want to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter eleven. So we're about to. Uh, so we've been in this series in our body, uh, one chapter, three and a half months. We've been walking through Hebrews eleven slowly. We're going to walk through the entire chapter today. Uh, so essentially, three and a half months of material in about thirty to thirty-five minutes. So here we go. All right, buckle up. Uh, it's going to be a fun ride. Hebrews eleven. Hebrews 11, we're going to talk about this, we're going to be on the topic of faith, what it means to live according to this unseen world. And I hope that we can leave this place knowing that Jesus is not offended by the mess of your life, but he's actually right in the middle walking with your mess, walking with you. Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for The conviction of things not seen. So essentially what uh, what we're learning here that um, faith is an attempt to view all of life from God's perspective. An attempt to view all of life from God's perspective. It's unseen. We can't wrap our eyes around it. We can't touch it, but it's all around us. This chapter is known as the Hall of Faith. It's a hall of fame for heroes of the faith. We read in this chapter, you'll see as you scan it with your eyes, you can see that heroes from the beginning of time all the way through, and three that we're going to look at briefly this morning, Noah, Joseph, and David, these heroes of the faith, men that lived according to this unseen world. The first guy that we're going to look at today is Noah. I want you to skim down to verse 6. We'll start, actually, and without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. Can you imagine what this must have looked like? I mean, think about it. All right, so let's de-spiritualize Noah for a second. Noah was a dude, okay? 
He was a dude with issues like you have and issues like I have. A man wrapped in flesh. That was Noah. I think so many times we put Noah on this platform as like he had a different kind of relationship with God than we have access to. But the reality was that he was a man wrapped by flesh. Yet he got word that destruction was coming. Because he walked so closely with God, this is the way the scripture defines that relationship, because he walked so closely, he was able to hear from God in a very unique way. And God said that there's a flood coming. I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to start over, and I need you to build a boat. Now think about this with me. Noah and his family had never seen rain. Never seen rain. Think about how crazy this must have been. Imagine if you were one of Noah's sons. You're Shem. You're down at the public library, right? Hanging out with your buddies. It's story time, right? You're in the library. The librarian opens a book, starts to read about some crazy fictional character. And then she says, you know, it's actually funny that we're talking about this because there's a guy down the road right now who's building a boat. And they're like, what? A boat? Yeah, he's building a boat. That is a thing that floats on water. I know we've never seen rain, but he says rain's coming. Ha, 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 ha. Imagine what that must have been like to be one of Noah's sons. To be the object of ridicule. One whose father was doing something uncanny and uncharacteristic. Can I just say this? Some people in this city don't understand what you guys are seeking to do. As a church body, to speak of this real Jesus and the life that he called us to live is foreign language to many of the residents of this city. Some of you are leading missional communities. You're sacrificing time, energy, and money to live out the calling of Jesus on your life. And some are thinking, well, it's a lot simpler at my church. We can show up and and we can punch our card and feel good and we've got the same relationship with Jesus that you do. Why would you go through so much trouble to live out this calling? I saw the downtown space a couple of weeks ago when I was in for a family funeral of what one of your MCs are doing. That's beautiful work in this city that's joining Jesus on mission in this city. And that will not make sense to some. But can I say for those of you who are actively involved in an MC, that you're living out Jesus' calling on your life, don't quit. It's unseen. It doesn't make sense to some. But if God called you to build a boat, don't stoop to be the CEO of a great company, right? Like be encouraged to live out this calling on your life knowing that you are doing good work. Jesus is affecting people through His Spirit living in and coming and through your life, putting His good news on display for people around this city. You know... Um, it's very easily to get it's very easy to get discouraged, isn't it, when we're living out God's call in our life. When we're trying to make an impact in our city. I remember in, when we were in Dallas, Texas, we threw a neighborhood block party. We had prayer walk the city or the neighborhood dozens of times. We hand out flyers, we started a Facebook group. Uh, we had been working we'd been a- working in the area for 6 months. We cooked a big pile of meat and we had drinks um, by the dozens and no one showed up. And I remember how discouraged my family was in that moment when we started to eat 
the first of 60 bratwursts. <laughs> but I can tell you this, that although you may not see it, God is doing a great work in this city. I felt it when I drove in last night to check into the hotel. God is using this body to do something very special, something that is unseen, according to this life of faith right here in this city. And Noah was building a boat because God had called him to. And he had very special instructions. In fact, he said, here's, here's a pitch. I want you to make a pitch to cover the outside of this boat. I want you to coat it. I want you to waterproof it. It's going to be the final thing that saves you from this destruction. If you look into the word for pitch, it's actually uh, translated a covering. God in his infinite wisdom was providing a covering for Noah to keep him safe for destruction. For you and I, God has provided a covering for us. The blood of Jesus waterproofs our vessel to keep us from destruction. The cross is our pitch. The cross is our guide, our covering. The cross is good news for those of us who believe. It's foolishness to some, but it is so good to those who believe. Don't stop building the boat. If you're not in an MC, get in one. I tell this to uh, people in, in our body every week. Some of you are not involved in the best thing that we have going, our group life. It's where real deep relationships are made with other believers and you can walk through the mess and challenge one another and live on mission for Jesus with others at your side. It's a beautiful thing. This life of the unseen doesn't always take us out of the storm, but it will take us through it. The second person that I want to look at briefly is Joseph. You guys know Joseph, right? You remember Joseph? Joseph, the young brother. The daddy's favorite, right? He gets a coat of many colors, right? He gets the best present on Christmas. And everyone else is angry because that kid got the best present. And so he wears this coat of many colors. And, and one day he has a dream, right? You guys remember this? He has a dream. And the story goes that he went and told his brothers, Hey, I had a dream and you're all going to bow to me. Now, if you get a dream like that from God, don't go and tell the other people in the dream. Let it come to fruition on its own, okay? It tends to work a lot better. He told his dream, you're going to all bow to me, and they didn't like it, right? They were frustrated with the little brother who got the best Christmas present. And so what did they do? They took his, his jacket, they dipped it, the coat in blood, and they make it look like he was killed by wild animals. And they went back and reported it to dad, right? Your son's been killed. We're all mourning, right? But little did they know that this unseen world, this faith journey that God was working in the lives of this family was playing out and they couldn't stop it, right? The rain was coming in the case of Noah. And there was a story being birthed through this man, Joseph. And so he was, ended up being sold to slaves, right? He went to Egypt. He was imprisoned. And he interpreted some dreams. You remember the story? He interpreted some dreams. And he won favor in the sight of the king. And Joseph became a king. But I don't want to talk so much about the rest of the story. I want you to see the statement that he made at the end of his life. Hebrews eleven twenty two. 22. 
Joseph was getting ready to die here. It says that he made mention, in verse 22, he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Joseph told his people that when I die, I want you to take my body, that my remains, and deliver them to the land that God has promised us. Do you guys see the faith of Joseph in that moment? He didn't even, he, he thought he was going to get to experience the promised land in his own flesh, get to set his eyes on it, but he didn't. He was at the end of his life and he said, I'm so convinced that God's word is true for me that I want you to take my bones to the land that God has promised us. Now that's faith. Faith is believing God. Remember, it's seeing all of life the way that God intended. And so he had the faith to do just that. What about this third man in Scripture? What about David? We looked at the lives of, of David for a moment. Remember him? David was a shepherd, right? Very similar story to Joseph. He was in the fields. Samuel comes. He's ready to appoint a king, right? He, he, he looks at all the brothers. He goes, no, no, no. Yeah, he's good looking. Well, he's got a pretty good arm. Yeah, this guy's got good skin color. Ah, things are lurking out all right for him. But, you know, it's actually none of these guys. There's got to be another brother. Well, there's this one son, but he's a nobody. He's in the fields with the sheep. He smells like dung when he comes in, right? Like, it can't be him. And so in walks the shepherd boy, and Samuel says, yes, it's him. You're going to be king. And in that moment, David hears that from the Lord, that he's going to be king. And if you've studied the Old Testament, you see that his, not, his life was not exactly a, a bed of roses, was it? David fought and was on the grind his entire life, many times just for survival. But then there was this one time where he walks across a valley and he's delivering some Lunchables. And there's a giant man on the other side yelling at the Israelites, right? Waving a finger at them about how much of uh, a big a sissies that they are, right? And he's calling them to come out and fight him. You big sissies, come and take me on. Where is your God now, right? And he's defying the armies of the living God. And David, this little boy who's delivering some Lunchables, says, hey, I'll take him. They're like, okay, David. Yeah, that's great. Go on your way. You know, we'll let the men take care of this, right? And David says, no, no, no. Let me take him. You can't. <laughs> David, you can't take him. <laughs> Look at him. He's a, he's a monster. I can take him. The Lord's on our side. You see, he was living according to the unseen. He wasn't worried by the threats of the day because he knew that God had something bigger. And so he steps out and they said, well, if you're going to fight, you need the armor. And they put the armor on him and I can just picture it right. I'm sure it's like dragging the ground, super heavy. And he says, I don't, I don't want the armor. Well, here's a sword. Take the sword. And he's, I don't want the sword. Hey, uh, actually, let me go grab some rocks out of the creek, right? I'm going to grab some rocks out of the creek. That'll be good enough. And then I'll take one of the rocks and I'll throw it. I'll hit him in the head and then I'll go cut his head off. <laughs> oh, David. 
we are going to mourn your life at your funeral, right? Like, you are so hopefully optimistic, but such a child, right? And so, here it is. I mean, you can see the battle lines drawn, and David makes his way to the field. And he picks up a rock, and he slings it, just like he did in the fields with the sheep. Had a little bullseye probably on the tree over and over launching them. He, God knew. He didn't know that he had purpose in his life. He just thought he was killing time with the sheep. But the whole time, in the mess of his childhood, God was preparing him for the greatest battle that would ever be won on behalf of the Israelite army. And so he steps out and he starts slinging. And they're all, oh gosh, I like that kid. I hate to see him go. And they're peeking through the fingers. And then he releases the stone and he strikes the giant in the forehead. And they start singing his praises. It's David. It's David. Saul, the great tall king, kills by the hundreds. David kills by the thousands. And he cuts the head up and holds it triumphantly to the people. Look what God did. You can't defy the work of God. You can't stop the work of God. This is not me. This is his hand in our lives and he will protect his people. And some of us, we hear the story and we connect with the times when we're in the field. Twirling the rock in the sling, slinging it at the tree. Feeling like our lives don't really matter for anything. We're just killing time. And all the while, God is saying to us, if you only knew, I have a plan for your life. And I know it doesn't make sense. And I know that time when you and your wife were fighting last month and you thought it was the end, if you'll just hold on, I know that I have something very special created to you. It's this unseen world. And some of us, we hear those stories and we go, we could never be great heroes of the faith. Well, let me tell you, that was the highlight reel. You know what actually happened? David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Joseph was selfish. Noah danced naked as a drunkard. These were regular men. We see it listed in Scripture and we begin to build pedestals and platforms to place them in. We see maybe our pastors do things that seem to be great things for God. And we go, I could never do that. I can't talk like that. I don't have that kind of faith. And all the while, God is stirring His Spirit in this body of people. And He's saying, you don't see it yet. It's unseen. Faith is different. But if you could view life the way that I see it, I have plans for your life in Christ. Why was He this way? See, here's what we have to know. You and I are not called to be great men and women of faith, but men and women of faith in a great God. Let me show you why this is so important. When we view ourselves as if we just tried a little harder or became a little more or pushed a little more or took more risk, maybe we could achieve this kind of greatness. But the whole time, that is not the life that God is calling us to live. God is calling you and I to live lives of regular people who have trust knowing in a great God, that God is sovereign, that He cares for His people, that He knows right where it is that you stand today. And He understands the pain and suffering 
that exists even in this room. And all the while, the Spirit of God is near to us in those times. That's what faith ensures in us. These men trusted in the plan of God for their lives. And they knew that God was with them even when it didn't make sense. And you can too. I want you to look at one of the interesting groups of people that the unknown author of Hebrews points out at the end of chapter 11. 11 and 32, if you want to read along with me. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty men in war, put foreign armies to light. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, some were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Others in whom the world was not worthy. I don't know about you, but that is compelling to me. That is compelling that men and women without fame and notoriety would go to such great lengths. Why would someone be compelled to give their lives being sawn in two simply to not denounce the name of Jesus? Because Jesus was so real to them that he might as well have been sitting in the front row of the building where they gathered. I don't know if you kind of if you have that relationship with him, I hope you do. I hope you're uh, able to experience and enjoy his presence on a daily basis. I really do. I hope that you know Jesus the way that these men and women know Jesus. I was asked a, a very difficult question a couple of months ago. He said, what if God chooses to do something new and unique that's never been done in your city? Awesome, sign me up for that, right? Like, that's a no-brainer. What if it has nothing to do with you or your church? Are you still okay with it? And for some of us, that question is hard to shake. What if God does something so special in our city and, and it has nothing to do with our church? Are we okay with that? See, being listed in this group of others was much more than them having their names known. And I wonder if we're okay with being the others. I wonder if we can say like them confidently that the word of God is so important to us, that the presence of God is so important to us that we would be willing to give whatever it takes in order to accomplish it. I hope you know Christ in that way. Here's what I know. As a follower of Christ, for those of you who have trusted in his name, those of you who have repented of sins and made him Lord, your sins 
are unseen. The cross tells us that even on our best day, our righteousness was like a filthy rag. That Jesus, despite us, endured pain and suffering so that you and I could have not only eternal life, but abundant life in Him. And when God said, I used to ask this question in counseling. Someone would come and, and it's all, when people come to counseling, they're typically beat up or anxious um, or frustrated in some way. And so they sit across the table and I said, all right, put me to the side. If Jesus was sitting here in my place, speaking to you eye to eye, what do you think he would say about you? Knowing that he knows everything about your life, what would Jesus say about you? And almost indefinitely, it's the same answer. The heads drop in guilt. And that he would say, I, I gave you so much. I gave you so many opportunities through my blood. And now you've squandered it and ruined it. And I'm so disappointed. And I don't know what you think he would say to you if he was sitting across the table looking to your eyes. But I can tell you what the cross tells us. That Jesus would look into your eyes and say, I died for you because I loved you. And I would do it all again. He made us whole through his sacrifice. And when God views you, he doesn't see some uh, cosmic failure, right? Like anytime you get something good, you just run and squander it. He sees the blood of his son Jesus that covers the multitude of sins. That's what Christ sees in us. I wonder what it would take for us to see ourselves that way when we look in the mirror. So I don't know if you're like me, but when you see that, the last thing that comes to my mind when I'm seeing the mirror is that I'm made righteous, holy, blameless. I see fear. I see failure. I see imperfection. But that is not what God sees for you. If you're a child of God, God sees the blood of his son, Jesus. He sees a person who is made righteous and made sinless because he himself took on flesh. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. That's the kind of love that our father has for us. Your sins are unseen. So stop defining your life by, by untrue definitions of yourself. If you're a child of God, you're made new. This should liberate us to live as free people on mission for Jesus in the city of Paragold, Arkansas. When we know what has happened to us in Christ and the redemption that has come through His blood, we can then live as people of the unseen, caring for those who are unseen in our city, motivated to do mission because of His grace and mercy. Uh, one of the things back home in Conway that is so compelling to me about uh, our, our body of believers, they partner with nonprofits in the city. They go into places that not many people are going, and, and they, become, they put light on display for people to see. This is this light that comes only from Christ, and they're able to point to Jesus. And uh, through one of those nonprofits, we call it Deliver Hope. Deliver Hope ministers to at-risk juveniles in Faulkner County. It's such a, a, a compelling vision that uh, the Faulkner County judge actually gave us the building across the street from the courthouse for the cost of a dollar a year. 
And so when a kid walks out of the jail, the first thing they literally see when they walk out of jail is the word hope. And when people walk down those steps into our building, we're able to not only help them with life skills, like how to interview for a job and write a resume and and put together, you know, use Microsoft Word, but we're able to use those life skills uh, as a vessel to point them to Jesus in the life that Christ has called them to do. It's very compelling. I love it. I get a lot of joy from those nonprofits. And uh, there's a lady in our city named Micah. And Micah was so moved by this nonprofit that she said, I have to help. And so she came in to deliver hope and she began to use her gifts and talents so that more of these at-risk kids could come to know Christ and, and get their lives back on track. And so uh, after about three months of that, uh, Micah said, hey, could you come to my home? I have an 11-year-old boy. His name's Preston and um, he's following Jesus now and he wants to make that public through baptism. And I would love if you could just maybe say a few words and kind of um, talk about the process and make sure he knows. Sure, yeah, I love. We had dinner at their home, and and so I don't know what's going on here. You know, I just think it's an opportunity to hang out with the kid, and and so we go in and we have dinner and we talk to Preston. He's so excited about being baptized, being baptized. He's making his faith public to all his friends, and he wants to invite all his friends and family members, and and so we have it there at our, one of our Sunday gatherings, our eleven o'clock gathering, and. And I'm sitting in the back of the room getting ready, and, and the dad is helping with the baptism, and our executive pastor is helping with the baptism. I'm just observing, and a guy comes up to me and grabs my butt. And I'm like, first of all, you know, that's kind of inappropriate. And then I look over to see one of my high school baseball teammates. His name's David. David taught me how to party in high school. David sh- taught me how to enter into a relationship with a female. David was that guy in college who represented everything that you want your kids to be insulated from, right? David walks in. I said, what are you doing? He said, that's my stepson that you guys are baptizing. And I had to come see what this was all about. So David comes and he sits in the front row. And I look over during our gathering and he's so moved by what he's hearing and seeing that his eyes are filling up with tears. He walks out that day and he hands me a piece of paper. He says, hey man, call me. I want to hang out sometime. And so Dave and I go to lunch. This is 15, 20 years later. 20 years later, we're sitting in a coffee shop. And he wants to talk about what we're doing. He says, is this, I love his, he said, is this, um, is this, so this is a franchise, right? You guys bought a franchise and then you're moving into the city and you're the leader of the franchise. And I was like, well, yeah, no, not really. I said, we kind of started this, my wife and I. Um, God had really done something in our life through his son Jesus and we wanted to bring, you know, begin to talk about that in, sh- in this city and build a culture of an Acts 2 type of biblical community. And, and he just sits there and he just listens. And he just listens and Man, I've never heard anything like this. This is cool. I didn't know people did this, man. That's, that's crazy that you would do this. And, and David's made a lot of money since high school. He's done really well for himself. And so that was about eight weeks ago, six, eight weeks ago. And so we're continuing to hang out. He invited me, um, he invited me to his 4th of July party, my wife and I. And I thought, well, it's going to be us and them. And I show up to the party, and there's about 10 classmates that I haven't seen from high school in almost 20 years. And so David is walking around introducing me as his pastor at this point. <laughs> and so 
I'm walking around in my, you know, board shorts and flip-flops and, uh, you know, he's introducing me as pastor and I'm just like saying, hey, what's up, man? I haven't seen you guys. How are you doing? And they're doing all kinds of different things in life. And, and so Dave and I enter back into this friendship and, and he comes back in last Sunday and he slaps me on the back and, um, it was really cool. Uh, this is what David told me. He said, uh, I've always had a general interest in God. But I have ran as far away as I could from the church because of what I've seen. The church has never moved me, nor have Christians. However, I'm so enthralled by this group of people and the way they live their lives in this city. I want to know God in the way that city church knows God. David, who was the godfather of underage drinking in high school, is now on a journey to meet the real Jesus. And what happens when David enters into this journey and his life, his life is rocked by the grace of Jesus and the fact that Jesus loves him even through some of the darkest times is going to impact dozens of high school classmates that I never thought that I would see again. When we begin living this life according to the unseen, neat things happen. God is very poetic in the way that he is, uh, his sovereignty works in this world. And I know this is what, living for Christ never feels spiritual in the moment, does it? It never feels spiritual when you're in the hospital room with a neighbor and they're hurting and, and maybe they're not a believer and so you don't even know the words to comfort them yet you sit bedside with them and love and shepherd them. It never feels spiritual. It never feels sexy to be out uh, serving the least of these, does it? With uh, hands and knees and, and, and dirty places, no matter what you're doing, or you're giving your time, energy, and money, or you're even having to sacrifice as a result of, of being there in that moment. It never feels romantic. But Fellowship Paragold, if I could say anything from our time together, is that Jesus is with you. He's walking with you from the mountaintop to the bottom of the valley. He's kind and gracious. He's not offended by your mess. In fact, he's willing to walk right through this mess of life with you. And you know how I know this? Because of the cross of Jesus. The cross is God's word to us that I am not offended by your junk. I'm willing to endure that junk despite you, because I have a greater plan going, and faith is living in this unseen world, viewing life from God's perspective, finding joy and comfort in the mundane.